you know, was intentionally walking because I was grieving in grief and I knew that I needed to keep on moving my body. It was a year and a half after her husband's death that Mary Dwyer walked the Camino de Santiago in northwestern Spain. She was 50 at the time and she walked 850 kilometres over a six-week period. The walk played a pivotal role in her grieving process. She tells me about that time as we walked together along a coastal track not far from her home in southern Tasmania. I mean, not only is the walking help you clear your mind, but you strengthen your body physically. But especially that walk, it was filled with so many moments where the path informed the healing. So it's not me healing. (laughs) The path informed the healing and a great sense, an embedded sense of you are okay, you will be okay, everything's okay. Becca Lunnan took off to the mountains in Tasmania just a few months after her partner died. It's something they did together. It's where they fell in love. And it was brilliant. It was, it was sometime in winter because he died in April. Um, so the days were short. It was one of those like really clear nights, but cold. And as soon as the sun went down, everything just glistened with frozen dew, I guess it was. Uh, And it's just one of those magical moments. Uh, And when you're out there and you are emotional, you can laugh, you can cry, you can do whatever you want. You can scream at the top of your lungs. It's great. And it was little things like that the beauty in nature that makes you realise that things will be okay and the world does go on. Three months after her partner's death, Gabrielle Gartrell spent eight days walking the South Coast track in southern Tasmania. I remember it was really, the weather was beautiful and I swam every day. I didn't have a watch, I didn't have a camera or a phone and you'd wake up in the morning to birds and, and to daylight and drink tea from a river and I'd sit down and watch butterflies or I'd, you know, I'd sit and just contemplate moss or flowers and uh, I was just, everything seemed to be beautiful so I think nature put me into a state of seeing beauty when I was feeling so much loss and feeling so much sadness and grief so nature gave me that gift of beauty. A common thread has woven its way through these three women's lives a commitment to step one foot in front of the other as they have grieved the death of their partners. While walking has played a big role throughout their lives, Mary Becker and Gabrielle came into relationship with it at different stages and in different ways. Becker's adventurous streak emerged when she was 25. Up until then, her life was quite tame. I was pretty boring. I was very boring. It was while working in an outdoors store in Hobart that Becca decided to go on her first bushwalk. It was more of a case of should go than want to. She admits not knowing anything about bushwalking equipment and she thought she'd better learn. A little bit about the gear that I was selling because you asked me what a gator is and I was like, I've never heard of such a thing. Um, (laughs) Let alone why you should choose one over another one. It was quite a steep 
learning curve and so I was like right I'll, I'll be committed to this job and I will go out and I'll start doing some bushwalks. It was this walk that led to a quest to climb all the mountains in Tasmania. In 10 years she's climbed over 400. She's got around 50 or so to go. She remembers his first bushwalk vividly. We had this brilliant perfect weekend where we went down to the Huon River campground um, at Scotts Peak. Uh, we drove down one night, stayed there that night, and then the next morning we got up and we put some kayaks on Lake Petter, one of those uh, crystal clear mirror reflection kind of days, and we paddled out to Scotts Peak. I landed on this lovely little sandy isthmus that's there, parked the boats, and walked up to the top of Scotts Peak, and we sat there, surrounded by water uh, and mountains, 360-degree views of mountains, that were reflected in the water because it was still calm as anything. And I was like, I don't have any of the gear. don't know what any of those mountains are. But one day, one day I will. One day I'm going to visit as many of those mountains as I can. I was thoroughly addicted from that walk. Gabrielle recalls a strong desire to walk right from when she was a child, as though she was put on this earth to move through various landscapes on foot. Walking or being on the land was just kind of in my feet. It was in my bones from that early age. Yeah, it was definitely um, just a way of being. I was more comfortable outside in nature than I was anywhere else. So that's where I gravitated. Mm. So your walks have been, you know, the point of a walk, has it been to get into nature? Mainly, yep. And then kind of later in life it's been either to exercise or to... uh, Calm a farm. <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit, sometimes I kind of say I have to work myself like a dog, you know, like a dog you have to run them um, just to kind of calm them down and settle them. And I think walking and that repetitive motion, left, right, left, right, you know, there's a lot of research around that as well about the effect that walking has on, on recalibrating your nervous system or your neurology. Mary was introduced to bushwalking through her husband, Adrian. And while they both loved the Tasmanian wilderness and explored it endlessly together, there may have been an ulterior motive. After all, they were only in their early 20s when they first walked together. I think it was a check-each-other-out activity, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it worked. (laughs) But it wasn't until Adrian died that Mary found herself wanting to do really long walks like the Camino, because of what she gained physically, emotionally and mentally. I learnt the benefit of long walks, day after day after day after day. Because there's something, I think, profoundly different happens to you when you're on the road for a long period of time. She describes it as being sandpapered. You know, the, the polishing that Michelangelo did on, on the Pieta, the sanding of her beautiful, beautiful face, the last, the last bit was really m- with fine sandpaper rubbing off all the tiny bits. So walking feels like I am being sandpapered and crafted into something that is much more beautiful. For Becca... It's walking on open ridgelines where she finds herself 
completely open and free. It's just the feeling. <laughs> it's freedom. It's on the edge. Great big smile, open heart. Nothing can change or take that moment away. It's all just perfect. It's like it's it's the most most in the moment you can be. And even better if there's someone to share it with. Becca's partner Graham was the person she shared her walks with mostly. In between her shifts as a paramedic and him running his own business, they'd have their sights set on the next mountain to climb. Either that, or they'd work away in their garden or play tennis. On the morning of Good Friday 2020, Graham had a sudden cardiac arrest. Becca resuscitated him, and they managed to get his heart started again. But he died later in hospital. It just, it just tears your world apart. You, you have this idea about what what your world is to you um and you everybody has like some central pillars in it i suppose and i had one big one and it was him everything everything that i did was around our relationship and he was right at the center of all the the two of us were at the center of it um so the decisions i made around work were about how that would work for what we wanted to do together whether or tennis or walking whatever else it was all uh, yeah around us uh, and then that was gone. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like... He was... Yeah, it was gone. Mm. And then... You have all the grief around that. And eventually you have to pull yourself together and decide how you want to... I don't know what the right words are. It's not a move on, but how you want to take the next few steps and what you want your life to look like now that your number one choice is no longer possible. Hmm. It's not an easy place to get to. (laughs) There's a lot of questioning about why's and what. And if only's. And it takes a bit to get over that bit too. When Gabriel's partner Richard died, following his near six-year journey with cancer, as a new single mother of two girls, 11 and 15 at the time, she only knew one thing, to walk as she'd always done. In that, that time post-death when excessive love and, and pain are the extremes, but also you know, the most clear points of, of feeling, I knew I needed space and time, and I knew to process the intensity of of my reality, I needed space and time, so I went bush. I remember walking in, and I walked about 100 metres down the track, and I, I stopped and I looked up at the sky, and the clouds just formed a very detailed um, image of Richard's face, and I just sobbed and sobbed on the track. and. Um, yeah, he was just, it was, it was him saying to me, you know, you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing, take time. It was something Richard had always known about Gabrielle and had encouraged her to do whenever he could see she was struggling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to laugh now because I just, <laughs> I've just got this little voice of Richard's going, Man, I told you to get out and go for a walk. Often Richard would say to me if I was feeling 
overwhelmed by the reality or, or the hugeness or what I thought was the hugeness of our experience. He'd go, just go for a walk. You've got to go for, go for a walk, you know, and the kids would always go, Mum, go for a walk. So if I was, you know, getting frustrated or agitated or they could see that I wasn't re relaxed or or restful, they'd kick me out and say, go for a walk. So, yeah, walking's been a way to kind of regulate myself, I guess, a way to calm down and find my humour and my playfulness again. For these women, walking has stretched out time and it is time and space that they've needed for healing. Mary walking the Camino gave rise to her heart opening up again. Most of all, I got the willingness to love again. So that, and in order to do that, and that's Kookaburra's lovely, in order to do that, I had to drop a lot of the pain that I was carrying and fear. I can remember arriving in the plaza in the middle of, just outside the cathedral in Santiago. And there, you know, often pilgrims walk in around about lunchtime. And I can remember sitting, like getting there, and sitting on the cathedral steps and crying with celebration and relief and exhaustion and humbleness and this most gorgeous gorgeous young Australian woman who I'd met on the track said that she'd been having a cup of coffee and thought oh maybe maybe there might be one or two pilgrims who are walking today and she came and she saw me sitting there and she came up behind me and just gave me the biggest cuddle and the, someone else took a photo of that moment and I think that you know, the photo in some ways sort of shows a completely open person. If Adrian cracked, Adrian's death cracked me open, then the Camino filled me with light. Yeah. For Becca, the last two years has been about coming to terms with walking alone, without Graham. But all the while, feeling him by her side. Yeah, that was, that was, that was part of it. It was like, oh, we're not, we're not going to go for a walk together in the way that we used to. And yet, being out there, I'd still see things or remember things or... Um, there, was, there was a part of him that was always going to be with me and that was always going to be out there to find which yeah, it's like that bittersweet thing it's there's bits that are hard but there's also bits that make it just fine and good <laughs> 